Welcome to Ag Future presented by Alltech. Join us from the 2022 Alltech One Conference as we explore opportunities within agri-food, business, and beyond. I'm Tom Martin with an Alltech Ag Future podcast talking with Dr. Vaughn Holder, director of the Ruminant Research Group at Alltech, and he joins us to talk about the contribution of beef to global food security. Welcome, Dr. Holder. Thanks, Tom. Great to be here. So how would you characterize world food security today? So this is a really important question to start this conversation, right, Tom, because uh, it's important to know where you are before you can decide whether we need to do something about the situation. And I, th I think it's a, a really important thing that we look at this. Now, Paul Moen is a researcher from uh, a university in, in New Zealand, and he was the one who actually discovered that the way that we're looking at food security in the world today is probably incorrect, which huh. is a, quite the realization to come to in 2022 or this was probably 2021 when it was published. So uh, basically what it is, is that they've been looking at the amount of protein that populations get uh, and, and using that on what they call a gross protein basis. And what that means is essentially the total amount of protein that those populations are getting and comparing it to how much we need. Now, the problem with that is that we, we've known this in animal nutrition for a long time. So that's what makes it kind of kind of entertaining for an animal nutritionist, but you need to correct the protein that you're eating to the amount that you can actually absorb and the amount that your body can actually use at the end of the day. And when you do that, you go from a small handful of, of nations being protein insecure to probably almost half of the planet being protein insecure because you are correcting for the poor digestibility, primarily of plant proteins, because plants are quite difficult for us to d digest as a species. Why is it important when we're talking about food security to include protein quality in the equation? And that's just it, is that we need to, the requirements of our body is in a certain amount that can get into our body and that we can utilize. Mm -hmm. And is a protein a protein, no matter where it comes from, or are there differences between proteins derived from plants versus animals? No, certainly that's the point, and that's that uh, proteins coming from animal origin are usually complete proteins. They are usually highly digestible because they're in the form that the body needs them. It's how the animals store them. So what are your views on plant-based meats and milks and so forth and, and talk that they'll someday replace conventional products? So this is a really uh, interesting conversation because we need to be very careful about how we, we talk about them replacing it. I think it's fine if you talk about them replacing it uh, in, in terms of the food that we eat, the, the, the taste of the food. But we need to be really careful to not make the statement that the plant-based meats and milks are actually being produced. In other words, they are not a source of food production. They are made from existing food that we have within our systems and essentially mixed in recipes to taste like meat and milk. That's no problem in and of itself, but if we start replacing protein production with protein processing, we're gonna end up with a starving planet pretty quickly. So how do ruminants fit into this world's food supply picture? So ruminants, I'm a little biased as a ruminant nutritionist, but uh, mm -hmm. ruminants are essentially the natural, uh, the natural recycling centers of the world. They turn all the things that we can't use, all the nutrients in the world that are locked up in these plants, particularly in grasses uh, and byproducts and also food waste. And it allows us a second crack at those nutrients. It allows us another way of getting those nutrients back into our systems and actually get, being able to utilize them through the ruminants themselves. We touched on this a little bit uh, a few seconds ago, but um, I want to just 
take it a little bit further, there may be only a handful of countries in the world that are experiencing protein malnutrition. But for many of the rest, are there issues and concerns around the quality of the protein that their populations are consuming? Yeah, so that's at the center of Paul Moen's work, and that's saying that on a gross protein basis, there are only a handful that are protein insecure. But when you factor quality into it, the amount that people are actually getting into their systems means that probably more than half the world is protein malnourished. And what are the, impl what are the implications of that on human health? There are dramatic implications because particularly on, on development in children, uh, we, had a, we had a speaker at the conference now this week who spoke specifically about the role of protein and protein quality in brain development in infants. And it's critically important both to brain development and in terms of development of the body itself. Stunting is obviously a very, very big issue in nations where protein security isn't isn't what it should be. You know, it's been interesting in the course of the interviews that we've done over the past several days that there's been something of a recurring theme about how we're awakening to just how really profoundly food, what we take in, really does govern how we feel, uh, our actual overall health. And I don't think we think of it that way day to day. No, we certainly don't, and, but, but it is at the heart of everything. It's the interaction. It's the direct interaction between us and our environment. Is it's, the food it's, that, it should make sense, but we, I just don't think we realize it. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot to step back and just think about why it should make so much sense, right, Tom? Because that's everything that goes into our bodies. Right. Uh, many food production industries generate byproducts. Uh, rather than allowing those byproducts to become waste to be tossed aside, are some provided to the livestock industry as feed? Yeah. Um, I was just giving a talk today about the, the, the dairy industry's use of these byproducts, and there's, there's two factors with that. The byproducts, about 40 metric tons a year are, are, are fed into the dairy industry, and, and those byproducts have another crack at entering our food system, right, at being nutrients that we can actually utilize. But the second piece of that, Tom, is that if there aren't cattle utilizing those byproducts, those byproducts end up in compost heaps or landfills. And as byproducts entering, entering compost heaps, they will end up generating five times the amount of greenhouse gases that they would if they went through a cow. And 49 times as many greenhouse gases if they actually went into a landfill as if they went into a cow. So the, the role that cattle play at keeping those byproducts out of the environmental greenhouse gas picture is, is one that we don't really talk about very much. And when, when we're talking about byproducts, are there dominant byproducts in the, in the uh, industry? It, yeah, it depends on, on where you are regionally. But if we're talking about North America, probably the biggest one would be distillers grains. You know, we put a lot of uh, infrastructure and, and funding into ethanol production in the country to, to uh, subsidize the fuel industry. Uh, and uh, there's a ton of byproducts that come out of that. That's probably the most dominant one. But then you go back to the, the more traditional ones like soybean meal, canola meal. These are the things that we use uh, as, as, as the basis of many animal nutrition rations. What are the uh, advantages and the benefits of using byproducts in countering the effects of greenhouse gas emissions and climate change? So I referred to a little bit earlier on in the conversation, but it's essentially keeping those things out of, of landfills and compost heaps reduces the greenhouse gas footprint of those. And it seems counterintuitive, right? We, we're all told we feed cattle and when we feed cattle, it makes methane. But 
those products that are going through those cattle will make a lot more methane if they don't go through the cattle and get a lot of those nutrients actually captured up. Any unintended consequences of the process? Of the, the use of byproducts by yeah. cattle? Mm -hmm. I think that it's been in use long enough that we know pretty well what what they do in, in the cattle and uh, uh, it really is quite well quantified. Back to quality protein. I seem to be stuck on that, but uh, it's interesting. When a society that has been protein deficient transitions to higher quality protein sources, what, what happens? What sorts of changes take place among the consuming population? It's interesting that uh, we had a speaker speak in our, our beef session earlier in the week, and he actually spoke about if we could fix the protein insufficiency in the nations of Earth that are protein deficient, that the IQ of the world population would go up by 10 points. We're talking about the world population as a whole, the entire world population's IQ would go up by an average of 10 points. So that tells you, you can imagine the knock-on effects on economies of stunting and brain development and these types of things in the poorer nations. You expect these nations to lift themselves out of poverty, but if they are stuck with a situation where they have improper physical and brain development, that becomes quite difficult. I have a question here that if you have the answer for it, I think the world will beat a path to your door, but let's go for it. Uh, agriculture, food, and climate joined at the hip, pretty much. Um, how do we fix food insecurity while staying mindful of the climate crisis and the need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions? Yeah, so I think this one is, the, the, I think the world assumes that these things are in diametrically opposite directions, and they are not in diametrically opposite positions. Um, as we learn how to do food production better, it involves the elimination of waste necessarily. The better we get at this, the less waste gets generated through the process of generating protein. So we've been doing this all along. I know it sounds like a cop-out for agriculture to say this is what we've been doing all along, uh, but it is what we've been doing all along. We just have to now become a little bit more deliberate about the environmental side of things, right? To say that now becomes very much a primary part of our consideration alongside food security. Can environmental impact provide a new value proposition for agriculture? I think that that will happen eventually. There is going to be a situation with agriculture sits in a unique position in, in that we actually capture carbon to produce food as our industry, that our industry is capturing carbon and turning it into food. So we, we're halfway there. And we're the only industry that captures carbon for a living. Uh, and so I think certainly there's no other industry that exists at the scale and at the interface between carbon uh, and the earth as agriculture does. So I think we certainly will. And it's just going to take carbon credit systems to, to come into place to fund a lot of this stuff. And how close to that are we? In, it varies certainly by marketplace. I think that uh, there's there's some market drivers that will push that forward. Places like Europe have active carbon trading systems. Places even like California are actively trading carbon. So it's happening at varying varying degrees in different places. But I think it's not gonna it's not gonna really take off the way the world envisions until everybody gets onto the same program and is trading carbon internationally. What's going on out there in, in your world in your field right now that really excites you? You know, we've been working, uh, ruminant nutritionists, we're a group of ruminant nutritionists at Alltech, that's, that's my group, that, that's our major role. And, and as ruminant nutritionists, we look very, very closely at the cow. And a major mind shift that's occurred with us probably in the last 
two years since we've been working with an uh, ecology group down in Florida is to sort of change our mindset a little bit as to what the what the unit of production is. Instead of looking at the cow as the unit of production, we are looking at an ecosystem as a unit of production. Because not only do we want to look at the, what the cow is doing, what's coming in and out of the cow, but the most important thing is what's coming in and out of the ecosystem, right? If we're talking about carbon, how much carbon is captured, how much carbon is going out, we need to know what the ecosystem is doing. So we had to really have a mind shift in how we think about this and, and think about ecosystem production of protein with cows as a piece of that ecosystem. It's fascinating. Dr. Von Holder, director of the Ruminant Research Group at Alltech. Thank you so much, Dr. Holder. Appreciate it very much, Paul. And I'm Tom Martin for the Alltech Ag Future podcast series. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts.